Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 
Then he again addressed the Calvert boys, showing them the way men act in this world. So what had happened, of course, is that the Brahmanas completely ignored the boys. They were just totally silent. BBT purport, by laughing, Lord Krishna indicated to the Calvert boys that they need not be angry at the ritualistic Brahmanas, but should understand that one who begs will often be refused. And read what Shiva Prabhupada says in Krishna book. After hearing their statements, the Supreme Personality of Godhead smiled. He told them that they should not be sorry for being refused by the Brahmanas, because that is the way of begging. He convinced them that one who is engaged in collecting or begging should not think that he will be successful everywhere. He may be unsuccessful in some places, but that should not be cause for disappointment. We're going to look at Sanatana Goswami's Tika. Though the boys spoke to both of them, Balaram did not reply, since he was angry because of the offense to Krishna. Krishna alone answered. Krishna heard at close range, Upakarnya. The boys came close and spoke softly because they were aggrieved by the Brahmana's lack of respect. Or he heard at close range so others would not be aggrieved by hearing. He laughed loudly when he heard the news at the great ignorance and pride of the Brahmanas, or to relieve the boys of sorrow. Although he was Lord of the Brahmanas, Jagadishwadaha, he did not consider this an offense because he was omniscient, Bhagavan. What is their fault if they are bewildered by my Maya? Or he was most merciful, Bhagavan. He taught that where begging for the men was unsuccessful, one could beg from their wives. Or he wanted to teach that for succeeding in bhakti, one must beg and that it would not be without obstacles. Previously, immediately on hearing of the hunger pains of the cowherds, he sent them to the ignorant brahmanas, though he was omniscient. Later, on reflecting on the matter, he sent them to the wise. Or, materialists dedicated to chanting the Vedas and performing sacrifices with pride and suffering, not with peace. Those without these faults are far superior. He taught this to the world by his interaction with the wise. Or, he wanted to show the material principle that love for the Lord was stronger in women than in men. Thus, he sent them first to men. <laughs> Prabhupada says that as well. Tadipa Karnya Bhagavan Prahasya Jagadishwaraha Vijahara Punargopan Darshanan Lokikim Gatim. So begging, uh, sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not successful. Right? When we ask other people for things, sometimes they give it, sometimes we, they don't. And that's the way of the world. Loka means the people or the world. So the, the people of the world, that's their path. Sometimes they cooperate, sometimes they don't. And uh, here Krishna is just laughing at the way of the, of the world. And he's teaching some detachment. We had this question in our Bhakti Shastri class yesterday. You know, does toleration mean hard-heartedness? The devotees try to just tolerate. I mean, this was quite a thing to tolerate, right? You go there and say, Krishna and Balaram want something to eat, and you're just ignored. 
it's painful, isn't it? Right? We're just ignored. <laughs> Especially if we make a reasonable request and we make a request on behalf of the Lord. You know, it, it hurts. And the Calvary boys were feeling hurt. They were feeling sorry. It's not to go Swami saying Balaram was feeling angry. How could they dare disrespect Krishna? Reminds me of in Hastinapur when Balaram was angry at the Kurus for being disrespectful to Krishna. But Krishna's just laughing. That's the way of the world. His detachment is not hard-heartedness. In, in fact, he's, he's laughing at it. Right? Laughter, generally, is something that happens when you feel very safe, not when you feel very... Sometimes people laugh in anger, but generally not. Right? Is it? There's, there's all this evidence that laughter helps cure diseases. Why is that? Because when you're laughing, you're feeling relaxed. Your body can function properly. You're not defending yourself in, in laughter. And so Krishna's not in this mood of, you know, oh, he's not, he's just laughing. So he's showing what is real detachment. And also, indirectly, as we're coming to in the next verses, but Sanatana Goswami talks about it in his tika here, there's some appreciation by contrast. Krishna is about to show appreciation by contrast to these brahmanas of their wives. And also we have a little lesson here that detachment involves being flexible. Right? If you can't do something in one way, try another way. You don't have to say, well, the, the way that I had planned that I'm going to do this, that's the only way it's going to work. So blissful detachment. People are not going to meet our expectations. And we're not going to meet other people's expectations also. You know, we tend to think of it all going in one direction. That other people don't, you know, these people don't follow through on what I think they should do or what they said they should do or all these shoulds, right? You're my wife, therefore you should. You're my husband, therefore you should. You're my child, therefore you should. You're my mother, therefore you should. You're my guru, therefore you should. You know, we have all these ideas of what people should do. And when they don't do what we believe they should do, we become upset. Again, we forget that we often don't do what other people think we should do. <laughs> that we are also letting down other people and their expectations all the time. Yes? Uh, but instead, that one should uh, just have the mood of an observer. That this is the way it is. Why can't other people meet our expectations? I mean, the brahmanas were thinking we have to be absorbed in our yajna. Right? They were very high-class people. And they thought, I mean, it wasn't just that they were like some kind of demon. They're thinking we have to be involved in our yajna. This, this is our duty. You know, sometimes when we're really absorbed in something, we think it's our duty to not pay attention to other things, isn't it? We may even block it out. Why are these coward boys bothering us? We have an important duty to do. And we talked the other day about how Krishna says, don't disturb ignorant people. You know, they, they were functioning at a lower level. We take the risk in preaching of disturbing people at a lower level, but... Often the result is they're attached to their lower level. I, I had an experience many years ago of uh, foolishly wasting some of my human form of life 
arguing with somebody that Varnashram and Bhakti were not equal. They were saying, Varnashram is Bhakti. I said, no, it's a support for Bhakti. Anyway, I was arguing with this person. And after a certain amount of arguing, which I was trained in arguing, I actually had trophies for arguing, literally. I, mean, I really did. I was a debate champion. I had a wall full of trophies for being a good arguer. So uh, my mother used to say, I never want to argue anything with you. You always win. So I was winning. And I convinced this devotee, I came within one hair of convincing this devotee that Varnashram and Bhakti were not the same. And then as soon as I got to that point, I had a very strong inner indication, stop right now and back down. This person needs to be attached to Varnashram, and if you shake them from that platform, they're going to fall down into sinful activities. If you shake them from their idea, you're not going to bring them up to bhakti. You're going to drop them down into sin. Leave it alone. And so I just backed off and said, you know, I'm sorry, you were right. You know. To some extent, if people are very attached to their particular platform, you know, Bhakti Vinod says in Bhakti Loka about Niyamagraha, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite sections, that there's different rules at different stages and will fall if we go too fast or if we go too slowly. And as we progress, if we're attached to the rules of the lower platform, then those will act as chains around our feet. But sometimes you have to let people be at a lower platform and just have to say, okay, that's where you are. We'll see in this pastime, even when the brahmanas figure out that they're at a lower platform, they still stay there. They say, you know, to hell with everything we're doing. How glorious are our wives, but we're not going to change anything. <laughs> and I'm sure we've had that situation in our own life where we look at ourselves and say, wow, I'm really not operating at the higher platform, but I think I'm going to stay here anyway for right now. So there's a kind of detachment where you can look at people who don't meet our expectations of what they should do and say, they're doing the best they can with what they know and what they're able to do right now. Because that's the reality, actually, for all of us. Therefore, Shilabhakti Sananta Sarasvati warns against having the mood of a reformer of others. He said, no one is without the highest guidance. So we can try, huh? But when we try to bring someone up, and this is so important, it should be for their benefit and for Krishna's service, not so we can get something for ourselves. And we'll return to this in a moment. Because our frustration is, is the person doing something for me, usually? You know, I'm frustrated they're not meeting my expectations because I think I need that person to meet my expectations. Instead, if I say, you know, that's the best they can do right now. Hey, at least they're doing Vedic yagyas. You know? So this detachment. <laughs> Look at these guys doing Vedic yagyas for Vishnu and Vishnu knocks on their door and they don't even answer. It's funny. I mean, it's a compassionate funny, but it's funny. And to just have some kindness and compassion for ourselves too. Do I always meet my own expectations? Anyone here always meet their own expectations 100% of the time? So also to have compassion for myself. 
You know, okay, I did the best I could today, right now, with who I am and what I know. And it's like that for everybody else, too. And some humor. It's okay, it's okay, you know. Hey, at least you're doing Vedic Yagyas. At least you got pure devotee wives. That's kind of nice. Maybe next time around. You know how unfortunate it is that you took birth when Krishna and Balaram were on the planet and the devotees came knocking at your door and you're so attached to serving them indirectly through the Vedas that you don't come and serve them. By the way, we've seen this happen even in ISKCON. I was once in a part of the world I shall not name and I was giving a, a class and the devo- I was, it was a class about japa and the devotee said, yes, there was such and such sannyasi, who I will not name, who was recently visiting and told us, don't think about Krishna while you're chanting. <laughs> and I said, well, it's always think of Krishna and never forget Krishna. Actually, I was just reading an account of one of my god sisters, how when she got initiated, she was really hoping to get the name Vrindavan. And Prabhupada ended up getting her the name Vrindavan Velasini. And she said she was so happy when she heard her name that when Prabhupada asked her what are the four regulated principles, she said to always remember Krishna and never forget him. And Prabhupada just started laughing. So if I'm always supposed to remember Krishna, shouldn't I be remembering him when I'm chanting? I remember Banu Swami said, if you're accustomed to think of something else other than Krishna while you're chanting, then even if you chant at the time of death, you'll be thinking about something else. My Prabhupada gave that example of this man who said, whenever I hear the word Radha, I think of the wife of the barber named Radha, whom I'm attracted to. You know, it's like... So I... I I know devotees, they'll, they'll tell me, you know, well, I'm just trying to hear the name and when thoughts of Krishna's form and pastimes come, I push them away. And I said, well, that's kind of odd. You're meditating on Krishna and then he comes and says, hi, here I am. And you say, go away. I remember in teaching uh, Manashiksha also, this one um, tell president came to me after the, the class about the dog ear. And he was saying, yeah, you know, I don't want to be on the emotional platform in bhakti. I want to just stay on the philosophical platform. Whenever any emotions come in bhakti, I just push them away. It's the same thing. You know, I'm trying to do my bhakti like a Shani. And then when some feelings for Krishna come, Krishna, go away. And that's what the Brahmanas did. Om they're worshipping Lord Vishnu and then Vishnu's servants come and they don't even answer. They ignore them. Or Sukracharya did this too, right? Then Vamandev came personally. He's like, don't give him anything. And Bali said, but you're having me worship Vishnu and the Yagyas. Now he's showing up personally. Right? So it's, it's funny. I mean, it's so ironic. It's so humorous. That somebody can be ostensibly religious and ostensibly worshiping the Lord, and when the Lord comes, they say, Go away. We told the story again of the washerman, you know, who was for lifetimes. I want to see God, 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 I want to see God. Hi, here I am, give me some clothes, get out of here. 
stupid fool. You know, it, it, it's so ironic that it's just humorous and you can just feel compassion for them. You don't have to feel, you know, this sadness and disappointment and grief and fear. Our Krishna conscious detachment is better than that of the Ganis. The Ganis detachment is just like, all right, the way of the world, they're doing the best they can. That's their truth. I have my truth. But our detachment adds this humor and compassion. <laughs> Look at this. This is so funny the way this world is. Like Bhagavad Gita says, this world is very strange. I've gotten to the point now, whenever anybody asks me, Armila, why did this person do this and this? I'm like, I don't know why anybody does what anybody does. Most of it's inscrutable and most of it's ridiculous. Why do we do what we do? I mean, we're all trying to get our needs met and we're trying to experience rasa, but we're doing it in such a strange, backhanded way that gives us the opposite. What does Prahlad Maharaj say? As soon as you go for happiness, that's when all your misery begins. Happiness is already within us. And here we have all these people, you know, happiness is already within us and they're looking for happiness elsewhere and only finding misery in such irony. And the other aspect of detachment is appreciation. And Krishna is about to segue into appreciation of the wives of the Brahmanas. In fact, he set up this. Of course, he wanted to give the Brahmanas a chance. Uh, we can say he knew what they would do being omniscient, but still he's always giving us a chance. At the same way, the devotion of the wives is magnified by contrast to their husbands. Because one would think, as the, as the husbands say later, you know, our wives didn't have brahmachari training, they didn't have this, they're not even very clean. And so you might think that the men are on a much higher level, but as Sanatana Goswami points out, that women are more likely to be religious than men. And sociologists have noted the same thing, that in most religions, women outnumber men. If you're in a situation where women don't outnumber men, something's funny. There's something wrong. There are certain geographical areas of our Hare Krishna movement where the men far outnumber the women. Like really far. You know, you go to Mangalarti and there's no joke, no exaggeration, 150 men and 10 women. That's weird. And then I asked one of the main preachers in one of those places in that geographical area, so how are you doing, Prabhu? Someone I've known for a while. Oh yeah, well I'm doing college preaching. Oh, that's nice. So what do you do? So we go to the colleges, we give a presentation, and then we take down the contact information of the interested men. And I said, what about the women? Oh, we're not purposely ignoring them, we just don't take their contact info. Okay, then what? Well, then we have follow-up programs with those interested men. Do you have any follow-up programs for the women? Well, no, we're not purposely ignoring them. We just don't have any follow-up programs for them. And then, well, what happens after that? Well, then we have a way of engaging people in service and starting to give them a mentor. And, well, what about the women? Well, we don't purposely ignore them. We just don't have any service engagement and mentors for them. And in another location, 
another specific location. I remember going and the devotee, they're wonderful, wonderful devotee, they're highly qualified. They're both these people, wonderful. And um, he said, would you like to see our morning school? He said, we have two school programs here. One, we have a full-time school for the children, full-on academics and Krishna consciousness. And for the children who go to outside school, we have a morning school. So they come to Mangalartik, and then we have Japa time and Sloka time. So I went to see the school. It was one of the best educational programs, literally, that I have seen anywhere in the world. Those kids, when they were answering questions about Shastra, they were really answering deeply with understanding. There was no parrot learning going on. I mean, it was, it was a first-class program, but it was all boys. And I said, what are you doing for the girls? He said, well, we want to take care of the girls. We just don't have the facility. I said, you know, if you really wanted to take care of the girls, you would make the facility. He said, we often think that we do or don't do something because of external circumstances. But the reality is necessity is the mother of invention. If I really want to do something, I will find a way to do it. And I'm going to get to that further in a moment. And I hounded this guy. Those of you who know me know that I'm very good at that. So I just like, really, I didn't let up on him. I said, you've got to provide an equal program for the girls. And what I had said to both of these preachers, I said, you're being very short-sighted if you think you're only going to preach to the men. Because the vast majority of human beings do this very funny thing after the brahmachari ashram. They go on to the guhasta ashram. Now it's a really strange thing that human beings do. They generally get married. And men marry women, usually. Nowadays, what people do. But, you know, that's the way it's supposed to work. And if you haven't been cultivating any women, who are they going to marry? And then all your brahmachari training is going to go out the window because they're going to have a non-devotee wife who's going to pull them down. And each of these men at different times, they looked at me and he said, that's exactly what's happening. And I'm like, well, duh. At least with the school, he wrote me back a month later, he said, you'd be very happy to know we started a morning school for the girls. I'm like, thank you, Krishna. But if things go on normally, Women are more involved in religion than men are. This is true across the board. So unless one deliberately puts the women to the side without thinking one is doing it deliberately, well, we're not doing it deliberately, it's just happened. But unless one's doing it deliberately, that's what will happen. And this is a very interesting phenomenon because Srila Prabhupada many times will say that spiritual life is easier for men than women that there's more facility in the body of a man for spiritual life. Because women, women epitomize material life, and if you don't believe that, just see that advertisers almost always use women. At the same time, there's benefits to being in a woman's body, and one is that one more accepts the supremacy of God, and one more easily accepts authority. It's, it's actually even tied to biology. And another is that women tend to be more soft-hearted. So materially, those things are problems. Because materially, if you're more soft-hearted, your emotions can overcome your intelligence. And materially, if you're more prone to just accept authority, anyone who seems like they're going to take care of you, 
you're more subject to being misled. But spiritually, when one uses that for Krishna, it's a great benediction. That in a woman's body, one is much more likely to accept that bhakti is about bhava, that bhakti is about emotion, that bhakti is not just jnana. And one's much more likely to be able to surrender and to trust and have faith in God. So this is also understanding the way of the world. The way of the world is that every group of people and every individual person has some advantage and disadvantage in terms of Krishna consciousness. And we know this about ourselves, right? We each have something in our life that's an obstacle for our Krishna consciousness, isn't it? Maybe something with our physical health, maybe something about our personality, something with our upbringing. You know, there may be something in Krishna consciousness practice that triggers some bad memory in our life. Whatever it is, or we may have cultivated some bad habit. So there's something in us that's an obstacle. And then there's something about us that makes Krishna consciousness very easy. There's something about the way our body works, the way our mind works, about our upbringing, that makes it really easy for us to take up Krishna consciousness. And then this is true across the board. You know, I used to think that being an American was just an impediment, and I realized after a while it has its advantages. Everything has its advantages. So having detachment from the way of the world is like that. Dealing with ourselves when dealing with others, where's the spark I can find? I don't have to be attached to trying to make everybody perfect in everything. It's not going to happen. But where's the spark for Krishna? And let me fan that spark. Instead of imposing my own ideas upon people. And the final thing I want to look at as far as the way of the world is that Krishna meets all of our needs. But not necessarily through particular people at particular times and particular ways that we have in our head. And it's not that, well, this person in this way has to meet my need. No, if, if that person isn't going, the, the brahmanas weren't facilitating the boy's service to Krishna. All right, let's find another way. Let's find another way. And not try to force. I, I'm going to force this way of getting my needs met. I'm going to force this way of my service. Okay, back up and go another way. You know, like with the GPS. You know, you got your GPS and it maps out a route. And if you make a different turn, the GPS reroutes you. There's a plan B and a plan C. And ultimately, there's no other jiva who's meeting our needs. There's no other. It's all Krishna. And Krishna can work through this person or that person or this circumstance or that circumstance. And often plan B or plan C ends up being better than plan A anyway. You know, we're often attached, well, I have to do it this way. And we try this way, and it doesn't work. And Krishna says, you know, actually, I have a better way <laughs> over here. And this flexibility to understand the way of the world is also to understand to be flexible. And when things don't work out, to laugh. <laughs> oh, that didn't work out. All right, what's another plan? How can we go that way and to see the Lord's hand and to see the Lord's grace 
with, with joy, with laughter. That Krishna is always there, even when something seems like a catastrophe and a failure. It seems that the coward boys failed. I think in Andhavardhava and Chandra, isn't it where they say, why is nectar turned poisonous? But there's, there's no failure for devotees, even when there appears to be. So knowing this way of the world that Krishna is laughing at, we can laugh with him, with compassion for people to accept that everybody is where they're at, everybody's doing the best they can. I can try to bring them up with compassion, and if it doesn't work, then I accept that. With being appreciative of what everyone has to offer, and what seems like an inferior person, maybe in another way a superior person, not to just judge quickly by externals. Everybody has some benefit that they can uh, use in Krishna's service. And to be flexible. If I can't get my service done one way, then I can get it done another way. Maybe there's a different kind of service Krishna wants me to do. Maybe I really have to think, as they say, out of the box as to what does Krishna want and how can I please Krishna. And then I have joyful appreciative detachment. That's bhakti. Bhakti isn't hard-hearted detachment and bhakti isn't just void detachment. Bhakti is a laughing detachment. Bhakti is a loving detachment. Bhakti is a compassionate detachment. Yeah, that's the way of the world. Questions, comments, corrections? Yes, Marsh. Uh, I just have a... What is it? I appreciate it. Appreciate I appreciate it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Mars has been mocking my accent for the yeah, world. So, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, your presentation of uh, what I teach is empathic communication and not to have expectations mm. and to look for other strategies because expectations are actually demands and they ruin the relationship both with Krishna and other living entities. So I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so Lars was saying for those of you who couldn't hear that uh, this is very much related to what he teaches in nonviolent communication, that having expectations of others is a way of having demands. We may not think about it that way, but that's what it is, and that it ruins, whenever I make demands on others, I ruin the relationship. Yeah, that was very good. And then the other one was, when you mentioned about it, these are all appreciations. Oh. But when you, <laughs> when you mentioned Bhaktivedanta on that word, he was talking about how you have to understand your position in Krishna consciousness. You try to go to a higher position and you fall down. This is the same thing that uh, the psychologist Maslow said, that if you try to fulfill higher needs without fulfilling the lower needs, your, your stability will be, you'll fall down. So, mm, so you're comparing what Bhakti Note said to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes, I mean, as a teacher, what we saw is if you're trying to teach higher mathematics to kids who don't have number sense, they can't do it. You know, if, if somebody doesn't have their basic reading comprehension skills down and you're trying to talk about analysis of reading, you know, if they don't know vocabulary, it doesn't work. And, and this is what happens when people try to learn through memorization. You know, so they're learning mathematics through memorization, right? You know, this is true. And they get to be 12, 13, and they, then they all of a sudden they, they can't do it anymore because the foundation is rotten. When, as a teacher, I spent a lot of time and energy going back to foundations and fixing holes in the foundations. Yeah, so Bhakti Note says if you go too fast, you'll trip, but if you go too slowly also. 
So the other thing is when it's time to move on, you have to move on. And if you don't, then the rules of the lower level will act as chains around your feet. So both there. Go collect it for me. Yeah. Well, I have another one. <laughs> <laughs> a lot today. Uh, the other one was, uh, you mentioned that you approach different temple leaders. I just want to tell a funny story about a temple leader. Okay. That I had the same sort of interaction with. This is in South India somewhere, which I can't imagine. I asked him, uh, I, don't, I don't see any women in the temple program or any, you know, women that you come with in Christian offices. And uh, he said, well, the reason is that if we had any, we wouldn't be able to keep any of our brahma yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 and I was thinking, what kind of brahma are there? They're just going to... That that means that you're not thinking of the welfare of the brahmacharis. You're using them as cheap labor. Mars was saying that he asked one leader at a temple who, where there was you know 150 men and 10 women, why aren't you cultivating more women? And the leader said, not even 10. I'm pretty sure I know what temple it is. And then there was at least six, at least six women in the back of the cage, right? They were already married. Married. There, were, there, were, there weren't any unmarried women. There weren't any unmarried women. And he asked this leader, why aren't you cultivating women? He said, if we did, then we'd lose all our brahmacharis. But that means those brahmacharis are meant to get married. And it means that you're actually doing a disservice to them by artificially keeping brahmacharis so you can get cheap labor. That's what it means. Go collect them. So there's a saying, expect the worst and hope for the best. What do I think about expect the worst and hope for the best? I can't expect the worst. Or prepare for the worst. I think preparing for the worst can also be a problem. You know, it ends up putting our body and mind under a lot of stress. And it's, it's a kind of nihilistic thinking. So why not prepare for the best? Because everything that Krishna does is the best. And even getting turned down or this or that is still the best. But it may not come through that person in that way. It may come another way. Yes, no. There's, there's, there's somewhere in between. Always have a backup plan. Always have a backup plan. And trust that Krishna has a backup plan. Yeah. So, so that, that's like halfway in between. Even if I can't figure out the backup plan, Krishna may reveal it at the right time. Shilaprabhupada Kija.